0: Welcome to episode 35 of Girls on Pop. I am your co-host, Raina Antoons, joined as always by fellow co-host. I am Ashley Lynch. Did you love how I do the arm thing, even though nobody can see us?
1: I do. A, it is very important to have a certain level of visual theatrics for an entirely auditory experience.
0: Of course, of course. You can hear it. You can hear it. You, That's you what it is. It.
1: Yeah, you exactly. Can, you can feel it in your gut.
0: That's right. Um, So, yes, welcome to Girls on Pop, episode 35, if I didn't uh, mention that right off the top. We're more than halfway to 50. Sheesh, we might actually hit 50 before the end of the year. Oh, my God. Can we? Maybe. I don't know.
1: know Step up our game, maybe.
0: Okay, what could happen? November, December is usually pretty quiet for me. I think we can make this work. Um, But, uh, Ashley, before we go any further, where can folks find you?
1: Easiest place to find me is on the Twitters at Ashley Lynch.
0: And you can find me on Twitter as well at The Marina One. Um, actually, I think it's just The Marina. Oh, she's, I can't even remember. I'll check for the end of the show. There you go. Um, but let's start by talking a little bit about some, a bit of news. And you you mentioned this, which I think is really funny, because I had no idea this was happening until Dan mentioned it to me. And I was like, how do you know about National Cinema Day? And I
1: don't. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Was this just badly organized and badly uh, advertised? Like, I'm not 100% sure.
1: I don't know. I only noticed it because I got a email from Cineplex basically saying, hey, just to let you know this, you know, on Saturday, it's like $3 tickets. I'm like, really? Oh, well, maybe I'll go see something this weekend. And then I dug into it a little deeper, and I found that basically it was a Um, a a nationwide across the U.S. and Canada exhibitor um, attempt to drive more people to the theater after Labor Day. So on, I believe it was September 3rd, um, all tickets at movie theaters were $3. And as a result, it was a huge success. There was massive amounts of people at the theater, lots of sold out shows, um, I'm reading apparently, according to Variety, apparently it brought out 8.1 million people to the theater that day. So it's, uh, I think it was a success and I think they're probably gonna, they're gonna do it again next year. And I know you did end up going to the movies. Was it really busy when you went? I did. It, it was, it was definitely like a um, I went during the afternoon and it was like a Friday evening when something big had opened. It was, you know, it was fairly packed. And even in the movies I went to, which were, you know, the like apparently like Top Gun Maverick just like moved up a spot for top Grocery domestic film. It was like had packed screenings, but I went to movies that were maybe a little a little more sparsely populated. But even then, there were still quite a few people in the theater. So it was uh, it was nice to see.
0: That's awesome. I missed that we were busy so we didn't end up going. And honestly, there wasn't really anything that we wanted to see except for the Miller movie. And it was only playing in Coquitlam. And by the time I looked the tickets, there were very few tickets left. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go see it, I want to see it when it's not that busy. And I don't want
1: to be fighting people for a seat. Well, that was one of the movies that I went to go see that day uh, with 3000 years of longing. And uh, I'll tell you, I had a hard time actually getting tickets for the movie, not because it was sold out, but because there was so much traffic on the Cineplex app that I had to try about 12 times to buy my tickets for the days because it kept crashing due to the amount of traffic they had. Anytime I tried to select a movie, it would just like error. And I'd have to go back to the beginning. This was on like both the website and the app. It was it was nuts. Like that. This is how many people were suddenly rushing to buy tickets at Cineplex.
0: That's crazy to me that's so crazy wow well that's it's good that it was a good success i hope that there's a little bit more marketing push for it for next year because honestly if it hadn't been for you and dan mentioned it and then somebody s- sent it to me in passing i I might have seen something from cineplex that i just kind of like looked at quickly and walked away yeah. from because i actually prefer landmark cinemas but i don't even remember if landmark sent anything out so if if it hadn't been for you know word of mouth i probably wouldn't have heard about it
1: yeah, I'm sure that there will be more advertising next time. Like it's going to be yearly thing now, apparently. So they've they've decided, like apropos of absolutely nothing, they just decided September third is is you know basically the weekend after Labor Day is, uh, is is National Cinema Day for whatever reason, and so that's the date that they've decided to go with. Sounds like they're going to do it again next year. So basically, beginning in September every year, there's going to be a three dollar ticket day.
0: I like it. I like it. I'll even watch the old movies for that price. Why yes, not? Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about some movies. And why don't we actually start with one of the ones that you watched during uh, Cinema Day? Only because it's the oldest one of the bunch. Jaws 3D. I'm kind of curious about why
1: this one and why in 3D? Well, because it's Jaws and it's in the theater. So I had to go see it and you know, it's like the 3D was not a big selling point. In fact, I didn't even realize that it was in 3D until I got into the theater because I think some screens are showing in 3D and some aren't. And so I went into I went into my screening for Jaws and I sat down and I'm waiting and the movie starts and it gets to the point where it's like, put on your glasses now. I'm like, oh shit, I need glasses for this. And shout out to the dude two seats down for me who, as soon as I just said, shit, I need glasses, I gotta go grab some and started to stand up, he hands me a pair and says, I always grab extra. Uh, like, A, who does that? I've, I've never once in my life grabbed more 3D glasses than I absolutely need when I go into the theater. But for whatever reason, this dude does, or made it part of, you know, at least he did that day. And he had an extra pair for me. So I thought that was awesome. I didn't have to go run and get some 3D glasses. I was able to just sit down and keep on enjoying. So that was awesome. That's um, awesome. The The other thing that I wanted to shout out, like I'm not going to talk too much about Jaws because we all know it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, and it's so fun to see it in a theater, especially with a bunch of people who, you know, some of them had had some of the people in the theater had obviously never seen jaws before so it was very neat like the moment where roy scheider's like you know throwing the chum off the side of the boat and the shark pops out of the water there were people in the theater like freaked the fuck out and apparently never seen jaws before and i thought that was amazing that they got to experience it in that way i thought that was incredible But the one thing I did want to shout out is because this was a 3D re-release of Jaws. uh, It's a post-conversion of a movie from 1975. And I was a little worried about that because my last kind of older post-conversion 3D movie that I watched was Top Gun. And the 3D was shit. It was barely there. You could have watched it in 2D and get the exact same experience. I was thoroughly unimpressed with with the Top Gun 3D uh, experience. But Jaws, on the other hand, had an incredible post-conversion for 3D. One of the best I've ever seen. Like, it literally felt like when the camera is level with the water and you see the water sort of lapping up against the lens, it really felt like it was about to start spilling out into the theater. I was blown away at how good the post-conversion was for this movie. It's, it, I mean, I don't know what more to say beyond that, but it's like some of the best 3d I've ever seen. So that was a, that was a genuine surprise and a delight on top of an already great film to be able to see it in a new way in which I'd never seen it before. And it, uh, it, it made a really fun experience.
0: Oh, wow. Now I kind of feel like maybe then I need to go to the movies on the weekend if it's still playing. Cause I would, I would see that especially with your endorsement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like I say, again, this is Jaws, one of the greatest movies ever made. And if you haven't seen this in the theater, and the only thing that was like, maybe kind of like iffy about whether or not I was going to go see Jaws is if I was going to go see Jaws in the theater, I kind of want it to be like a film print and not just like a digital exhibition. But at the same time, because it's 3D, they're doing the digital exhibition. And it's like, an entirely new print because it's the post-conversion, so I get it. Um, but at the same time, just, again, seeing this movie in a theater, especially if you can see it with an audience, it's a really fun time. That's awesome.
0: I also saw one of the greatest movies of all time.
1: Uh, I did not.
0: Right uh, uh, unless DC's League of Super Pets counts. Does that count?
1: I don't know. I haven't seen it. Is it one that of the greatest movies of all time? Uh, no,
0: but it's a hell of a lot of fun. I gotta tell you. Um, I really, really enjoy this. The concept here is that, uh, Superman lands on Earth as a baby with a dog in tow that also has superpowers. And not only are they best friends, but they're saving the universe together. Um, and then we discover that there are other super pets that were created thanks to, um, oh crap. What's his name? Lex Luthor. And then, it's just, it's a really cute concept and it's very well done. The animation is great. The voice talent is great. And it's actually an interesting take on the story. And the villain is not who you might expect, which I thought was really fun. I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Like thoroughly enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, even though Keanu Reeves is in it. And so it automatically gets a, a plus one on on my boat, but um yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was quite good and very charming and i would highly recommend it as a good family night in it was a
1: lot of fun a lot of fun i'll have to check this one out yeah it's
0: pretty good um okay i'm really excited to hear about this because this one has been on my radar for a while uh barbarian so what did you think about this because you know the thing with this trailer is when I saw the trailer the first time I thought, well, this looks like just your, like your very typical horror movie, but the reviews for this thing have been like through the roof. Everybody like raves about it. So yeah. I need to know from
1: the horror queen, is it as good as they say it is? Uh, yes. And no, okay. um, it is really good. Uh, the way people have been talking about it. I was almost expecting it's like, Oh, there's no way this doesn't end up on my top 10 list of the year. This sounds like, you know, like, like greatest you know film of the year sort of contender, um, and it may end up on my top ten. I don't know, uh, but it will. It'll probably be near the bottom if it does. Um, I liked it a lot. It's good. Um, it's it's a really good movie. A lot of people have said, don't even watch the trailer. Don't read anything about it. Just go into the movie entirely cold, and I wholly endorse that idea. Although the trailer does not really give anything away um so you're not going to be ruined there like you're the base sort of setup that you get into right away is that there is a young woman who uh arrives in town at detroit and goes to an airbnb that she's rented arrives in the middle of the night only to discover that the key isn't in the lockbox and someone's inside the house and the person inside the house is like oh i rented this house too and it's like a double booking and they have to try to like solve, you know, what's going on there. And so they're both staying in the house together, and then weird shit starts happening. And that's where I'm going to stop with like the big details, because that's pretty much what you get from the trailer. But it kind of it, It's one of these movies that remind me a lot of a movie from um, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, um, called The Dark Song, an Irish horror movie, which was what up to that point, I think was one of the scariest horror movies I'd seen in a long time. And the reason why is because the entire time while watching it, I did not know where it was headed. And there is something absolutely terrifying, especially for someone like me who has seen so many damn horror movies and makes horror movies that if I can't recognize what a film is driving towards and they're just ramping up the tension. That is scary to, cause usually you can recognize the bones of a movie. It's like, Oh, I know where this is headed. I know what type of movie this is now. And there's something really scary about not knowing where a film is going, especially when it's a horror film. And this film plays that very well. It keeps it close to the vest. It doles out, information as needed and is constantly building and twisting now this does get deflated a little bit about midway through the film when the film reveals itself for what it is but at that point the film kind of smartly takes on a slightly different tone it starts to get a little funnier it starts to get a little bit more adventurous it starts to get a little twistier things get a little bit even more like fucked up because it's less about the mystery and it has such an expert hand on the controls for what the tone for this movie should be that you get to the end of it and you feel like you've been on a hell of a ride and you just leave the film going, well, that's fucked up and try to make sense of what it is that you just watched, but in the best way. And the more and more I think about the film, like it's 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 not just like a you know fucked up stuff happens type of movie. It's actual you know um, valid dramatic thematic threads that are running throughout the film um, that impact it in a in a very substantial way and provides a lot of thought long after you leave the theater too. So. And honestly, the more I'm talking about it now, the more I'm thinking maybe it will end up in my top 10 for the year. So it's, I really like Barbarian. I think everyone should go see it. I think you should know as little about it as possible. And you should just go and expect a fun, thrilling ride because that's what it is. It was just a great movie.
0: I'm glad to hear that the trailer doesn't give too much away because as soon as you said, I was like, God damn it, why didn't I watch that fucking trailer?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now I think there might be multiple trailers out there. Um, I only watched the first one, but as soon as I started to hear from other people who I trust who had seen advanced screenings and whatnot, and they were warning against seeing any of the advertising, I was like, okay, that's it. like cutting off offline in communication with all promotional material for this movie. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Flip side to that, but an interesting segue, because the setup is almost exactly the same, is Love in the Villa, which is one of the new Netflix romantic offerings. The setup is eerily similar. A woman shows up in Italy for her uh, summer vacation only to discover that there is a man already in the apartment that she's the Airbnb that she's rented for the week. Okay. And it's been double bucked, <laughs> except it doesn't turn into a horror movie and turns into a romance. So well, there's that. that. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> I mean, it's a different type of horror, I guess, depending yeah. on where you fall with romance films. I don't
1: um, think that's so funny. It could, it could be a double bill. It
0: it's hilarious i didn't actually put two and two together until you were talking about uh barbarian um really the only reason i bothered with this was because i really like tom hooper a lot like a lot a lot and when i saw him in the poster i was like well now i have to watch it <laughs> and he doesn't disappoint to I me mean, the movie is what it is it's a, a bit of a cheesy romantic drama about these two people that start off not liking each other and then you know inadvertently fall in love even though they're already with different people um it's just kind of like a fun i don't even know it's just like this fun romance to kill Mm. like a saturday for a couple of hours i did watch it on a saturday kind of killed some time kind of just brainless entertainment it's very charming i will say this not enough topless tom hooper maybe you know a little more of that and it would have gotten some bonus points for me, but as it is, it's just fun. What can I say? I enjoyed it well enough. I'm not raving and ranting and raving about it, but I did. I did rather enjoy it.
1: Okay, what um, of on that one
0: again? It's called Love in the Villa.
1: Love in the Villa.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a, an English teacher, so it has this. Uh, shakespearean romeo and juliet through line as well which kind of speaks to me because high high school student loved uh loved shakespeare but um yeah it's 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 fine it really is like the tom hooper train and i'm okay to jump on it um hopefully much better
1: three thousand years of longing yeah so this is uh this is george miller's um I say triumph of return to cinema, but it seems like every time George Miller makes a movie, it's a triumph of return to cinema. Pretty much. I, I don't know after after Fury Road, it's just like this eighty year old man just exploded back onto the scene, and it's like we'll take everything we've got while there's still some blood left in this man's veins, and he doesn't seem like he slowed down. He's just like ramped up. He's in the middle of making Furiosa right now, and then in between, he's just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my, uh, my romantic sweeping fairy tale epic djinn movie." Um, so, 3,000 Years of Longing" is basically the story of uh, Tilda Swinton, who um, finds basically a a bottle in a bazaar that contains a genie played by Idris Elba. She frees him and. He grants her three wishes, but I suppose the twist is that she's like, well, I'm a very content, solitary woman who has, like, I love my career. I don't want other people invading my space. I have what I want. I don't have anything to wish for. Not only that, as an expert on literary mythology, which she is, she's like, I understand that there's absolutely no story about wishing. That is not a cautionary tale. So why would I ever make a wish? But a majority of the film is Idris Elba basically telling the story of how he got there. How did he end up in the bottle that she freed him from? And what you get is this long series of, vignettes told in flashback all throughout the ages of here's the adventures of a genie and all the times that he became basically um, enslaved to someone who freed him and had to grant them wishes and he needs someone to basically make their three wishes so that he can be free and every time it all just kind of like backfires horribly and he ends up imprisoned again. And you get this real, he's also a a very deeply romantic character who has obviously great love in his heart and wants to share love with people and have, you know, that passionate romance for the ages. It's just like hardwired into him. And this results in him making a lot of foolish decisions as well. As as a a genie, Um, and it ends up being like just a really lovely uh, fantasy um, type fairy tale story with a lot of uh, heavy romance in it as well, and told so beautifully. It's like it's it's an absolutely gorgeous film. The cinematography is amazing. It's just it's 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 an absolute luscious delight of a film to look at. And if this movie has any problem and it definitely has problems, um, it's that it's the third act where things start to get like a little kind of bumpy because like a majority of the movie is them in a hotel room and he's telling these flashback stories. And then at the end of that she's like, oh I have a wish and it sort of spirals off into the into the third act, which A goes on a little bit too long, but B also makes the movie suffer from what I call the castaway problem. And the castaway problem is when you spend the majority of the movie with a character in one location. As soon as you get the character out of that location and conclude that second act, it feels like a natural conclusion to the story. And yet the story keeps going. And this movie has that problem. You know, and there's there's other problems with the third act too, where it's like, eh, it feels a little half baked the way you're sort of wrapping this story up and it keeps going, but but everything that came before that was so good and entertaining. and absolutely lush that it's uh it it makes it hard to, to you know, feel like it sours the movie too much. It's still an incredible experience that I think everyone should give a watch.
0: Oh, that's really good to hear. Yeah, the the trailer was really intriguing. And I mean, it's George Miller, so I expect nothing other than greatness. Disappointed that the ending isn't fully there, but I'm curious to check it out.
1: I'm going to try to make an effort to see that one on the big screen. I mean, the other thing that I kind of love seeing is like Tilda Swinton is at what, uh, like 50 at this point or like 60, close to that. I would and say so. It's, and it's really kind of refreshing to see a story about a woman that age where it's centered around ostensibly her sexual desires. And you just, you don't see that in film and it's really nice to, uh, it's it's really nice to see that for a change. So more movies like that, please.
0: Yeah. And George Miller is kind of doubling down on, you know, creating stories that have strong female strong women in the set at the center of them and mm-hmm. telling those stories in a very, um, um, like it's a very authentic way. I don't know if it's, if, if he's writing the films with a writing partner, maybe it's just that he's like really intuitive, but they feel really authentic in a way that some movies that are about women that are written by men don't.
1: Yeah. And like the one thing that sort of continues from Fury Road is that this film is edited by Margaret Sixel, who is George Miller's wife. So is, you know, kind of, I, I can't help but think that like having this husband and wife director editing team um, plays a role. Of, yeah. It, in the perspective that both of them are bringing to the projects. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, Kind of, in, in a similar vein in that it tells a story that we're kind of familiar with, but from a slightly different perspective. Uh, Samaritan, uh, which is the new Sylvester Stallone movie, as in Sylvester Stallone stars in it, not directing. I think he maybe has an executive producer credit because he's Sly Stallone and he's helping out some, you know, up and coming director. The oh. concept here is that Sly plays this, um, old, uh, retired superhero that, uh, everybody thinks has died, uh, in this big fight. He's supposed to be like the good guy that died in the fight. And he's some, it, it, f- there's machinations that bring him back into, um, into the limelight. Uh, so he's been hiding. This kid in the neighborhood gets into a little bit of trouble. He gets involved and all of a sudden he's mes- mixed himself up with, uh, Pilu Azbek who plays, um, a gangster who comes into some superpowers. And of course, at the end, you get a bit of a showdown. It's not particularly memorable, to be totally honest the really the only reason i watched it is slice Alone as an aging superhero kind of appealed to me that 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 little concept and that's an interesting enough concept but it doesn't the movie doesn't really go anywhere um it's a little the story is a bit half baked the special effects are a little bit half baked so St- Stallone is actually pretty good, but the movie is just very mediocre. Um, So, I mean, it's not really a glowing recommendation. I say, I mean, if you think you might find it interesting, there is some interesting stuff going on, but it's not a particularly memorable superhero movie. And though they leave the door open for a sequel, I probably wouldn't watch the one at this point. It's just not good enough and not innovative enough to... To, to call for that, um, though it does have some interesting twists towards the end. Um, so, Samaritan is currently streaming on Amazon. It's one of the Amazon originals
1: that uh,
0: was released a couple of weeks ago. So that's Samaritan, the, the, the Sylvester Stallone.
1: I actually did start watching this movie, um, and honestly, I got bored and distracted and wandered off and did something else and never came back to it, which kind of disappointed me because I was like really kind of I I had high hopes for this movie and the reason is because of the director Julius Avery who the film he did before this was uh Overlord which is a film that I really enjoy and kind of surprised me I was like holy shit what is this movie I want to see more stuff from this director and it uh it it kind of sucks that it looks like he fell into the sophomore problem and his second film was like it it has that issue where it's like we're trying to do like a meta commentary on superhero films but at the same time it feels like 90s superhero films you know it's i don't know it, it wasn't working for me so i didn't stick it out through to the end and that's the most i can say about that yeah it's probably not worth the extra effort to be totally honest
0: um, one that I think is worth the extra effort, because I saw your tweets about this now, was as shocked as you were when you were watching it,
1: Orphan First Kill. Yes. Okay, I'm just going to say real quick, one of my favorite things about it is I got like a half hour into this movie and I, I just tweeted out, I'm 30 minutes into Orphan First Kill and this movie is good, actually. And that was my tweet. And I, I all of a sudden got flooded with these with these replies from people going, just give it another twenty minutes. Just wait. <laughs> and then there was like people feverishly waiting for me to like hit the big twists in the film. It was kind of amazing.
0: And because yeah. that, I only saw that first tweet. I didn't see the follow up. So oh, okay. what is the
1: follow up here? Uh, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil what the twist is.
0: No, but is but it? But does it actually fuck itself over halfway through? <laughs>
1: no, no, the film is actually good. Um, okay. But, hey! This, of course, is the prequel to um, I want to say twenty ten film, twenty eleven, somewhere around there. Uh, movie Orphan, um, which I hesitate to say too much about this movie because if you haven't seen Orphan, because this is a prequel, it Orphan is one of those movies that's like you f- If you haven't seen it, you know what type of movie it is all the way up until the last 20 minutes, at which point it drops this holy shit twist on you. And you're like, oh, my God, I was not expecting that. Or maybe you did see it coming, but I didn't. And it's like it's one of those types of movies where like the twist completely reframes the entire movie you just watched. And the unfortunate side effect is this movie assumes going in, you know exactly what that twist is. Because it it it's baked into the premise. You you know you kind of need to know. So I'm being very vague on purpose because if you haven't seen Orphan, it's a decent film. It's worth watching, you know. And I don't I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Nevertheless, um, this one continues with or or rather precludes um, with the the killer kid named Esther. um, basically reunited with the parents who uh, have been missing her for years. And giallo hijinks ensue, basically. Um, I don't know. God, how much more should I say about it other than that? It's so difficult because I don't want to ruin anyone for anything, anyone that hasn't seen it. I'll just say this. I think Orphan First Kill is actually better than Orphan. I like this movie more. Uh, the first movie feels very kind of like, okay, I get what this movie is until you get to that holy shit twist. And this movie, despite having a holy shit twist of its own, which I thought was quite good, um, and comes much earlier in the film, it's just a much more enjoyable and kind of like... uh, I I said giallo for a reason because it's like it's a movie that knows exactly what it is. It knows how trashy it should be uh, and is incredibly enjoyable all the way through. So I had a blast with this movie. I'm not going to say it's an incredible movie, but it is a very fun movie and I loved it a lot. So I, I do recommend this one, especially if this is a genre that you you love it all. If you love a good kind of like violent thriller, then this is going to be your bag. But definitely if you haven't watched Orphan and it hasn't been spoiled for you yet, then go back and watch that one first. I think it will play a lot better.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know. Cause I think I've seen Orphan but maybe not. because I don't remember a twist. So at some point I might have to do a double bill here. Um, this may be the shortest review of Thor love and thunder. Anybody has ever heard this movie is super underwhelming. Really? I was so underwhelmed by this. I don't know if part of it was expectation or what, but I was just kind of bored. I was very disappointed. Um, I thought Natalie Portman was great, but I wanted to see more of her as Mighty Thor. I I love the music. Guns N' Roses gets paid. I'm okay with that. Give them the money. The fight sequence in like the dark world without the colors, um, with just like very select color, I thought looked amazing. But I don't I I it was just very long and just kind of blah. I was very disappointed. I just didn't like the voiceover. Didn't like the flashback storytelling. Didn't like the the bad guy. Like I thought Christian Bale was weak. I just, none of it really worked for me. I was just so fucking bored out of my mind. Like I'm not even, I, I was shocked by how bored I was. Like this is not, this is not the Thor movie I was expecting.
1: Oh, that's disappointing.
0: Yeah, I thought the trailer looked like it had a lot of fun and energy. I just I I just found it kind of like draggy and just not that interesting.
1: I I talked about this movie before because I saw it in the theater and I had very much an opposite reaction to you. I had a blast with this movie. I was laughing my ass off the entire time. My daughter was laughing her ass off the entire time. And I watched it again recently now that it's on digital. And, you know, you could say shortest review ever. It's like, here's my short review. The goats are still funny.
0: The goats are, and that's what I was going to say. The goats are probably the funniest thing in the entire movie. And the fact, like when they land on that stupid rock, the way, like it looks like they're going to crash into it. I'm like, okay, now that's funny. And there are like little moments like that that are like genuinely entertaining. And you're like, oh, that was unexpected. There's just so little of it compared to the previous film that uh, Taika did. I don't know, just something about it felt off to me. I'm not 100% sure what it is. That said, I mean, it looks like we might get more Lady Thor, or Mighty Thor, as they call her now. I would be totally okay with that, because, I mean, I really, really like Natalie Portman in the role. I just wish there was more of her. Maybe that's part of the disappointment that there wasn't enough of her. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just... For out of the Thor movies, it's probably my least favorite. I know people don't like the second one. I think it is with the Dark Elves. Uh,
1: the, the second one is one of the worst Marvel movies, period.
0: Okay, see, and I don't hate that one as much as everybody else does. I actually think it has probably one of the most interesting fight sequences I've seen probably ever with the uh, teleporting to the various planets. I thought that was super ingenious and looked really cool. But that, this one that just... is
1: the only moment that that movie actually comes alive. I have that a hard is true. Getting through that movie without falling asleep.
0: And I mean, that's the other thing. It's been a long, like, I think I saw it twice very shortly after it came out and I haven't seen it since. So I don't even know whether it plays well or not at this point, but I just, this one just didn't work for me. It just didn't really hit. And I think part of it was expectation, to be totally honest. I just, like,
1: I, I, I I find it wild because the reaction to this movie has been all over the map. There's been people like me who absolutely loved it and had a blast and were thoroughly entertained. And then other people who are not troll type people that just, you know, normal ass people with opinions I respect like yours, who it does not work for at all. And I find that rift really fascinating because I feel like I'm, I'm watching a completely different movie from, from what other people are seeing. And rarely is that the case. Like, there's usually like some kind of consensus with these movies among people whose opinions I will listen to, you know, about where these ones sit. And this one, is just like, it, it really feels like it's random whether or not it's going to work for people or not.
0: It, it does actually feel that way quite a bit because I was, I, I was surprised at how much it didn't work for me. So I'm like, I, I want to like this. Why am I not enjoying this as much as I thought I would? Ah. So there were entire spots of that movie where I was like scrolling on my phone. I was just so bored. So bored. (sighs) Okay. That's, that's it. Thor Love and Thunder. It's on digital. Watch it, make the decision for yourself, whether you like it or not. Don't listen to me. Um, (laughs) The retreat.
1: Yes. This is, um, I mean, the larger context is I've decided to, to do this, uh, this, challenge the 100 horror movies in 92 days challenge you know ending on October 31st of which I'm like 61 films into so far so I've been watching a lot of horror which means I'm really working hard to seek out new horror because I like watch a lot of horror regularly too so finding stuff I haven't watched sometimes is a challenge and I came across a movie which had completely slipped by me um, it's a Canadian horror film from 2021, uh, which the the basic premise is um, uh, a couple of uh, girls in a relationship go up to what is ostensibly um, advertised as like a queer B and B. It's a queer friendly queer friendly Airbnb cabin, middle of nowhere for a retreat to go hang out. They're having like a little bit of couples issues, but you know, ostensibly they're a couple in love and they essentially get hunted by a group of bigots that, uh, are just want to murder queer people. And so it becomes essentially like a little bit kind of like deliverance, if you will, um, with, uh, with a a group of, uh, group of rednecks that want to, want to live stream and kill gay people. For, for their, you know, for their 8chan like site, whatever it is. Uh, and so it becomes like a, it becomes a survival horror uh, film. And it was, um it was really good. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. I thought the performances were good. The only real complaint I have is obviously this is like a lower budgeted film, but it's like the, the scenes that take place in the dark are absurdly dark. Like, You could have brought a light. Um, That said, it's not that big of an issue for the most part of the film. But there are some scenes where it's like, you know, I know I complain about modern filmmaking and how some filmmakers just want to see into all the dark places of horror film. And you end up with this really muted. I can see every quarter of this room that has no light. I think that's a problem. I don't particularly like it. But you can also go too far and not be able to see anything in the frame. That's a problem, too. This film has that problem. But other than those, that that small little sort of nit, I thought it was a really solid film, and it's definitely worth checking out.
0: I was looking it up. I'm like, have I seen this? I have not. But it looks like it
1: might be fun. I, I saw you, like, confusedly checking your phone, and so I thought... I bet she thought I was talking about an entirely different movie called The Retreat, of which I'm just assuming there are like six of them. Probably, and
0: I'm sure I've seen one of them, because that's why I looked it up. I'm like, oh, maybe this is not the one I've seen. <laughs> um, I caught up with uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. I know it sounds, uh, this. the title of this constantly escapes me, because I kept seeing it advertised, and I'm like, what does that even mean? This this title means nothing to me. Um, It's it's It's
1: based. It's a title that means "Give me an Oscar."
0: Kinda, Uh, it's trying very hard. Uh, So this is based on like a best-selling book. It was adapted by uh, Reese Witherspoon and her production company. I think it's called. Something sunshine, happy sunshine. I don't even know what exactly it's called, uh, but it's uh, directed by Olivia Newman. It stars Daisy Edward Jones. And the basic concept here is uh, Daisy Edward Jones plays this young woman who has been accused of murder. And you kind of see uh, her life unfold in flashback as we learn where she, how she ended up, where she ended up and why everyone in town seems to hate her. Um, and in the end, it's also a romance it's, it's trying very, very hard. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's, you know, aptly made. It has some really good performances. Jones is really compelling because she looks, she's amazing on screen. Like she just has this energy. David Strathairn plays her lawyer. He's very good. There's a number of supporting cast also very good. It has the romance aspect. Hey, it works kind of, um, it's just kind of like very mediocre. Like it's not particularly memorable in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's fine is all I can really say. Like there was a lot of buzz about this because the book is really well loved. And I'm sure people that love the book are probably going to love the movie because it looks like it's a fairly um, uh, close adaptation of the source material. It's just not particularly memorable in any way.
1: You know, I watched the trailer and I had a hard time putting my finger on, whether or not this is supposed to be a drama or, or a thriller.
0: It's a very, if it's a thr if it's supposed to be a thriller, I didn't, I don't remember. I didn't see the trailers, so I don't know. It's okay. a very, very bad thriller because it is God. not thrilling at all. I mean, it has a little bit of a mystery, but it's definitely not a thriller in any way. It's okay. a drama so it's a like drama. with a cap. Yeah. It's a drama with a capital D. I okay. would say it's a romantic drama. Second, and then a little bit of a mystery, but it, it's it's it, like I say, it's fine. It's just oh. not really memorable in any way, shape, or form. It's the kind of movie you watch and then you forget it in a week, and then you might remember it in five years when you see the
1: poster or somebody mentions it. You're like, oh, I might have seen that, but so it's it not. Sound to me, like this is going to be a big contender. Come Oscars, I I don't think so. I don't. It's so that's, pretty that's what it looks like the film is definitely being positioned as.
0: Oh yeah, they were definitely pushing it in that direction, but I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there. Um, Fall. Not the fall. Fall.
1: Yes. This is, um, I mean, it's a very, very high concept film. Two girls who are basically like climbing junkies decide to climb what is ostensibly one of the tallest um, man-made tower structures. Like a, a... I don't know what the tower is used for, but, like, it's just like a a really giant long pole in the middle of nowhere. And they climb to the top of it. And once they get to the top, this thing has clearly needed some maintenance because the ladder breaks away and they are now stuck um, at the top. of The description is telling me a 2,000-foot radio tower. So the entire movie becomes these two girls trying to, like, it's it becomes the puzzle. It's like, we're trapped up here. No one knows we're out in the middle of nowhere, and we can't, like, call for help. We're up too high that we can't even, like, get a cell signal up here. We're above the cell towers. Um, I don't know if that is a thing or if that makes sense or not, but it, I bought it in the film. Um and, like, they got their backpack of stuff, and it's like, here's the things we can do to try to, like, get out of our situation. It's like, now we have to try to, like, go through increasingly desperate attempts to either get rescued or get ourselves down. And it's just, like, a real nail-biter of a, of a survival story in that sense. It's like, there's a... I, I kind of like this subgenre. It's like the, the oh, you know, open water concept where it's like, oh, we're out in the middle, surrounded by sharks. What do we do now? We don't have any, you know, anything at our disposal meant for this, and now it's just survival. Um, the way this film is shot in particular is freaking amazing. You genuinely feel the, the weight of how high up they are. Uh, it never, for a moment, feels like these are two actors on a green screen, which it almost definitely is. <coughs> and it, um, it, it, it's genuinely terrifying just watching it as it proceeds. Like the director knows very well how to kind of push your buttons if you are at all, a tiniest bit. Afraid of heights, it, the film makes you feel how high they are, and how unstable the environment is once you get up that high. And it's it's a it's kind of a, a terrifying film to watch. Just like it it feels like it feels like Free Solo is what it feels like. Free Solo being the documentary film about a guy who I can't remember what mountain it was he was scaling, but it's basically you're the documentarians are basically following this guy without any sort of safety support free solo up the side of a rock wall on a mountain. And there's always that threat that at any point he's going to like fall to his death. And the documentary career is just going to capture his death. And it's, a terrifying documentary to watch, especially if you don't know if he actually made it or not. And it's like just the process of it. It's just like, you're saying they're going never in a million years would I do this. This is crazy. This guy's insane. He should not be doing this. But at the same time you're riveted and you're like hanging on every handhold as he climbs up the climbs up the side of this rock wall. And this film really kind of captures that same sort of feeling and that same sort of tension in these two girls trapped up atop this radio tower. So it's, I thought this film was really good for what it is. It's like, if this base premise appeals to you at all, then this film is going to give you exactly what you are looking for. And it's a really good version of it.
0: That's awesome. I hadn't even heard about this. So I've already added it to my watch list. Cause this sounds like something I definitely want to watch. Um, moving into some TV and I got to say, I was kind of, I wasn't tricked. I just didn't really look closely enough. So when I finished Love in the Villa, Netflix is like, yeah. oh, you might like this. So I'm like, oh, another movie. Oh, this sounds like it might be interesting. So I started watching partner track and then, you know, 20 minutes into it, I'm like, why are there still only 15 minutes left? What the hell is going on? Oh, it's not a movie. It's a series. Oh, okay. So it's based on uh, a novel from Helen Wan. And the basic concept here is it's you're following uh, a group of lawyers, three of which, including our main character placed by Arden Cho, are on the track to becoming partners that year. Um, and you basically follow them for like a period of, I don't know how long it's supposed to be, six months or seven months or whatever, as they kind of work through like big cases that are going to, you know, make them the the partners next to be called into partnership. Um, and of course, drama ensues. It also stars that Dominic Sherwood, uh, who is the transplant from the London office, who has shown up and thrown a wrench into all of everybody's plans because he is now considered to be one of the favorites for a partner and there's only three slots and he wasn't in contention and all of a sudden he is. Um, and Alexandra Urshan, who plays like one of the friends who works in another department and has her own drama going on. It's, I mean, I... <laughs> Clearly, I have some interest because I was going to watch the movie and I kind of powered through this series very quickly. I watched it pretty much over the course of three days. The episodes are very, very short. They're only about 30 minutes. Uh, there's 10 episodes in total. There is certainly going to be a season two because it leaves on a cliffhanger and it's good. Um, it's, it, it, it does tackle some interesting things. Um, this idea of, uh, one sexism to, um, um, the bigotry, the old boys club, this concept that the men will always get the upper hand just because they're men. And it doesn't like pussyfoot around it. Like that is very central to the storytelling, which I really appreciate. And I think it probably has something to do with the fact that one, the book is written by a woman and two, the showrunner is a woman. And three, the majority of the directors of the episodes are women. So it, it does have a very female centric uh lean. And I really enjoyed that part of it, considering that I tend to like, the only other, uh, a lawyer drama that I liked was about a bunch of guys. So, hey, this is nice. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, it was a bit of a surprise for me. So if it sounds even vaguely interested, it's interesting. You may, you may want to give it a shot because I really enjoyed Partner Track. I thought it was better than expected. It surprised me. For something I hadn't even known had come out. So sticking to Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Cobra Kai.
1: Okay, so season five of Cobra Kai is out, um, which is a show I, I think I fell into this at the beginning of the pandemic. I right. think every I think everybody did. Yeah, I had largely ignored it. Like I I remember the first season they did on YouTube, which tried to do their their paid TV yeah platform youtube red uh and they put the first two episodes out for free and just out of curiosity i remember watching the first two episodes then went yeah that's fine i'm not gonna pay youtube money to watch the rest of it but good on you and that's where i kind of stopped and after that it like moved over to netflix and a couple more seasons came out and I just ignored it, and then the pandemic hit, and for whatever reason, I was like, "I'm going to go back and rewatch Cobra Kai," and kind of fell in love with the show. Uh, it's, I I I don't even know how to describe my feelings for this show because it's so weird. It's like I enjoy it. It's today I described it as basically a, a telenovela with kicking. And I think that's the most accurate way to describe it because even more than most shows of this type, this is a very soap opera show. It's like it's all about which characters currently hate this character and who, what rivalries are going on, and by the end of the season, those rivalries are going to be completely switched around. It's like, oh, this person three episodes later, now these two characters who wanted to fight to the death, are now best friends. And, you know, instead they're like, this is the greatest villain in the world. And it's like, it's constantly like that. And you have the intergenerational thing where you have like the OG cast from karate kid, which I get come back to in a moment. And then you have all the kids and it's like these two separate worlds going on, but they're also like interacting. And the, Dramas are basically going between these two intergenerational rivalries um, and uncertain allies that is constantly evolving and shifting on an episode by episode basis. Um, and it gets to a point where, I was like, because everything's ramping up and up and up and up, it's like, you have to stop and remind yourself. It's like wait a minute. this These life and death states. That are currently occurring. In this show. Are all about. Who gets to have. The most popular. Karate dojo. In Southern California. It couldn't be more. Low states or less important. But that's like the world. That this takes place in. Uh, but the thing that I find. So kind of uneasy about the fact that i love this show is the fact that um and it's the thing that i'm uneasy with in general is like it's it's the it's the nostalgia pandering and i get very cynical when it comes to nostalgia pandering and this show has a lot of nostalgia pandering like to the point like the entire base premise was you know what if we took the kid who was the the bad guy in karate kid and then centered the show around him like okay Whatever. And it works. But it works so much that they decided to bring back every character across the three Karate Kid movies from the 80s. And when I mean every character, I mean every character. It's like they've mined every... They've gone to the Japanese girlfriend that was in... Karate Kid 2, she shows up in an episode, and in season 5, the guy who, the the kid who is the, one of the main villains in Karate Kid 2 that Daniel fought with in Okinawa, Japan is, like, he's traveled to America to fight alongside Daniel, and the villain is the villain from Karate Kid 3, and it's just like, there, there's no one left to bring back. Elizabeth Shue even came back for an episode, I think in like season three or something like that. You know, it's like they've brought back everyone. And it's also gotten to this point where i become increasingly disappointed, and I will spoil this, that at no point has Hillary Swank come back into this show. I want to see Hillary Swank show up. If you're going to go to this level of bringing back every damn side character from these movies, bring Hillary Swank into this show. Come on. She is saying you're not paying enough. Sorry. She is. uh, Apparently they're paid a lot because there are a lot of names on this show. Will Smith is getting a check from the show because technically he owns the Karate Kid franchise. You know, he. I think he just like outright bought the rights to it, and then he made that movie with his kid and Jackie Chan. It's so like he still retains the rights to the franchise of Karate Kid. So he's one of the executive producers of the show. He gets a check off of every episode. And by all intents and purposes, this is an incredibly popular show that is doing well. Um, that said, I really enjoyed it. If you've seen the other four seasons of Karate Kid, it's that. You already know what it is. It's good. I enjoyed it. More More soap opera drama with people getting punched and kicked. It's fun.
0: Yeah, I think one of the reasons the show works so well for me is that it, it knows it's cheesy and it revels in that cheesiness. And I like that sort of wink wink. Like some mm. shows and some movies when they play with the nostalgia, they, they do it kind of like. Not slyly, but it's like they feel like they're being sly, like they're, they're passing one by you and everybody knows that you're making that reference, but you're kind of still doing it thinking like, I, I know more than you do. This one does not, this show doesn't do that at all. I find that it, 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 it expects that you know what it's playing with. And I appreciate that because it does that oh. really well. To that end, I haven't finished the season. I think we're, you know, more than halfway through at this point, but I'm not enjoying it quite as much as the other seasons. I think it's just getting a little too soap opera-y for me, but I we're still watching. It's just such an easy show to consume. Like, it's easy to sit down. You might intend to only watch one episode, and the next thing you know, you've seen four. Like, it just plays well.
1: That's the other thing. I think it's a, why it's been, you know, part of why it's been so successful and b why it's successful with me is because it is very bingeable. And half have the reason for that is It's half hour episodes. It's like, if these were hour long episodes, I probably would have fallen off long ago. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Um, let's talk about,
1: you won't be alone. Yeah. So this, this is a, this is a weird movie. Um, it, Basically, the story of a young girl in nineteenth century Macedonia who gets uh, kidnapped by a witch and raised by a witch. Um, it, it basically like becomes a witch in and of herself, and by by witch I mean almost like malevolent creature, kind of witch, not just like practicing, you know, Wicca, kind of witch. And this, the easiest way to describe this movie is uh, to describe the aesthetic of the movie. Because this is first, most, and foremost, a very aesthetic heavy film. And the aesthetic, if I were going to nail it down, is an A24 aesthetic. Um, if you are a big fan of The Witch, this film might be for you. Uh, and the reason why I say, might is because this film is even more esoteric and uh, less narrative-driven than The Witches because it is largely told through entirely disconnected vignettes strung together by a melancholy voiceover of this young girl attempting to essentially integrate with people, but also struggling with the fact that she's essentially like a monster. And it's more of a mood piece than it is a narrative film. Like there's not an actual there's story in the loosest sense in this film. Instead, it just ends up being a vibe. Um, and ultimately I did kind of dig the vibe. But at the same time, it's like if you're looking for something that's really kind of character and and narratively driven, you're not going to find this here. You're, You're never going to, like, grasp onto, wait a minute, what's going on? It's like, you're just supposed to sort of feel the movie. And it's very much kind of like an art piece in that sense. And if that is what you are what you dig and what you're looking for, then this film you're probably going to, you're probably going to get something out of for other people. They're probably going to be incredibly frustrated by it.
0: Oh, this is good to know. I, I, I tend to like uh, movies like that, but you need to be in the right mindset for it. So it's nice to have that warning in advance that this is what you're going into and be prepared um, I wanted to end with a show that's currently on. They've only aired the first three episodes of all things. It's on AMC plus this came recommended by uh, Mr. Bill Harris at the green screen of death. He tweeted at me the other day that, uh, I needed to watch this and I am so glad he did. Um, I think in part the fact that it's on the MC plus has this under the radar for a lot of people. Uh, but when I went looking, I didn't have to look very far to find a lot of fans either. Um, so the show I'm referring to is Pantheon, which is based on a series of short stories by, um, Ke- Ken Liu, who is a Chinese now American um, science fiction writer who kind of became pretty popular and very famous for the three body problem, which is one of his early novels, which mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, that is currently being adapted somewhere by someone. Um, it, it is on my to be read, read list, multiple
1: adaptations that are uh, in the off. works.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. So he is kind of like a big deal in the sci-fi world at the moment. Um, and this series is really, really fascinating. So it is animated. It stars the voice talents of, uh, Paul Dano, Rosemary DeWitt, Katie Cheng, who plays the main character. Um, and like the list goes on. There's a bunch of stars that star in this. And the basic concept here is that, um, Katie Chung plays a young girl whose father has died except he hasn't really died this is this happens like in the first episode he is an uploaded intelligence not an artificial intelligence an uploaded intelligence and so things go off the rails when she starts getting messages from someone who she thinks is her dad who is dead in the computer so three episodes in, they're slowly starting to like untangle the weave of what's going on and uh, what's happening with the company that is uploading all of these humans. The first thing that I thought when the, after I f- watched the first episode was why is this animated? Cause I mean, there's, there's a couple of reasons why you would make a film animated, mostly because like, if there is something that you can't, that's very, very difficult to shoot, in-person or impossible. And animation is the way to go to storytelling. This is three episodes in. You're not at a point where it's like, okay, I can see why this is animated, but I have to tell you, I am so glad that this is animated (laughs) because I think I would have lost a little bit of, uh, not interest, but I don't think it would have the same impact if it was live action. It would feel very fake. The fact that it's animated actually, I think, grounds the story and huma- um, humanizes it even more. It's a really, really fascinating, fascinating show. Super high level. Reminds me a lot of devs in its storytelling and like the storytelling aesthetic, not necessarily the visual aesthetic. It looks more like anime if you were gonna like give the style any sort of like reference point. It's super good, like highly, highly, highly recommended, really well-written looks amazing, but it's on AMC plus, which means like fucking half the population more than that don't even get the channel mm. because they only have like, I don't know, like four or 5 million subscribers. I don't understand why this isn't on AMC, the cable channel, but it's so good.
1: So good. In terms of presentation, Sort of sound like I haven't seen it yet, but it, it reminds me a bit of that uh, show Undone, the one with uh, Rosa Salazar and Bob Odenkirk, where the entire thing is like rotoscope animated. And it's like a show that doesn't necessarily need to be animated. You could do it live action. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's presented in an animated form almost kind of makes it special, you know, Yes, makes it stand out in a way that it otherwise wouldn't fully agree.
0: Fully agree. This is so like, so good. So highly, 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 highly recommended. Probably one of the best things. Yeah. Probably one of the best things that's been recommended to me this year. So thanks Bill. Appreciate it. (laughs) And that's, uh, that's all we've got this episode. That's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to watch. And I, I feel like I'm severely behind. Like I looked the other day and oh, TIFF, is, TIFF is currently happening. I looked at a list of like 35 anticipated movies for the end of the year. And I'm like, oh my God, I've only heard about half of these. I, I feel like I have so much to catch up on and there's all this stuff coming. I'm like, when am I going to have time to catch up? I don't know. I'm going to need like an entire week to just watch movies nonstop.
1: Right now I feel like I'm drinking from the fire hose because, like I said, I'm doing that horror challenge of yes. all horror all the time. And a lot of the stuff I'm watching is like I am going back to stuff in the 70s and, you know, I'm watching like old sleazy Italian giallo films and and hammer movies and stuff that were like blind spots previously, and, like filling in like a lot of stuff that like I feel like I should have seen but haven't seen yet. And that's not stuff that we typically talk about on the show. So I'm also filling in with like other stuff to make sure I have content to talk about. And just like, I, I'm watching so much stuff. I'm just like, it's, it's, it's too much, but it's nice to have a little break here and there because as much as I love horror, you can't eat steak every day. And <laughs> truth, and, truth. And, and 63 movies into this challenge. I am, uh, I I I am feeling a little worn on the genre for a moment. I'll be happy once I get to a hundred, and then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna do a month of noir. November. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That
0: actually sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so I encourage you to come by at atc.ca. We'll we'll link to everything that we talked about today. Um,
1: Ashley, where can folks find you? People can find me on Twitter at Ashley Lynch.
0: And I have indeed confirmed that I'm at the marina. Some days I forget. I don't know why. It just is what it is. And not we'll back at can... the marina one. No, not at the marina one. Though occasionally I get like random people tweeting at me when they're like at a marina and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not actually the place where you dock your boat. I am actually a human being. But it's always kind of fun because they're usually pretty decent pictures because it's people having
1: fun, right? <laughs> you know, I hope that there is someone else that actually has an account called the Marina one. And right now, because of the beginning of this episode, they are getting like a whole bunch of, whole bunch of messages. How dare <laughs> you say that about Thor? Uh,
0: probably, probably. Uh,
1: they're, uh, they're really confused right now.
0: <laughs> Apologies to the Marina one. Um, and we'll <laughs> be back in a couple of weeks with a special episode. So stay tuned for that until next time.
1: Insert catchphrase here.
0: Opening and closing credits are Happy Alley by composer Kevin McLeod. For more information, visit incompetech.com.